The Age of Sale as an Alibi, a conversation with Claire Campbell about her new paper for Papers in Canadian History and Environment. I'm Sean Karaj, and you are listening to episode 64 of Nature's Past, a podcast of the Network in Canadian History and Environment. The way Canadian provinces have represented their relationships with nature don't always match up with the way they use nature. Canada is a settler colonial nation state that has long exploited natural resources for inequitable economic gain. That extractive relationship with nature has led to numerous adverse environmental consequences over time. This is especially true for our relationship with energy resources. In the latest paper for Papers in Canadian History and Environment, Claire Campbell from Bucknell University explores imagery and representations of the province of Nova Scotia over time, revealing the ways in which tall ship sailing has come to represent the province. This imagery of a renewable energy resource stands in contrast to the province's long history of extractive non-renewable energy development, including recent efforts at offshore oil drilling. Claire joined me to tell me more about her new paper. Thanks for joining us, Claire, uh, to share a little bit about your new uh, paper that's uh, out now with Papers in Canadian History and Environment called Rising with the Tide of History, the Age of Sale as Industrial Alibi. So I thought maybe you could start by telling us a little bit about what you mean by an industrial alibi. I've been thinking a lot about um, how we or why we continue to behave the way we do, uh, even though we know or are being told that past behaviors can't continue. And the idea of the environmental alibi came to me because I was trying to understand how Nova Scotia, which, as you know, I adore, remained committed both to, on the face of it, a turn to renewable energies um, in the last decade, but also to offshore exploration and to resource extraction. And again, not just not just in, in the fossil fuel sector, but um, that any time uh, there is some flag that the an industry is not sustainable there is such pushback against that rather than thinking well then what what should we do in its place and so i started to just question the stories that we tell ourselves that allow us to keep those extractive and unsustainable economies alive and so the concept of the environmental alibi an alibi um according to the the oed literally means in another place right i I could. I didn't kill him. I. I wasn't there. Um, but and so somebody can vouch for me. And so what an environmental alibi does is that it removes us from the place and time of something damaging or unappealing. Hmm. And in this case, what I was seeing was iconography, specifically of a renewable energy form, wind power, the tall ship, the white sail, mm -hmm. in a very carefully and comfortingly non-industrial setting, um, the wooden pier or the open ocean, which is used to distract us 
or comfort us from the uglier realities of contemporary and unsustainable development practices. Um, my concern is that we, by keeping the, the rationale, the rationalizing metaphor alive, we also sustain unsustainable industrial growth. And we are essentially looking at one thing while we continue to do another. And so um, the, what I was trying to do in this paper was show that there is uh, a history of doing this, but that we can read right now the current momentum in Halifax, uh, in the Maritimes, and arguably in Canada generally, um, we can read attempts to distract us from the real costs and real-time practices by invoking these much more appealing images of other times and other places and other kinds of relationships with nature. It reminds me of some of the arguments that Ian Mackay has made about Nova Scotia and uh, nostalgia and memory uh, about the province's history, a sense of um, the representation of the past as innocent. Um, did you get that sense from some of the imagery of the tall ships that you analyzed in this paper? Um, innocent, but more the, a kind of a kind of purer ambition, <laughs> if I could say that. So that, um, or or a, a a heroic ambition. So that there's a really interesting um, way of seeing how this this removes any kind of environmental impact. Um, mm -hmm. But it also removes any kind of less than heroic motive, right? N nobody talks about capitalism or species collapse. Right. <laughs> and, and instead, this is, all, this is all put in the frame of a really, uh, frankly, a really visually beautiful relationship with the ocean or with, with the Atlantic shoreline. And so um, my concern here was, was specific, I mean, my concern, my concern was being honest about how we are not, in fact, innocent with regards to, for example, taking funding from oil companies in higher education or um, considering this a pillar of provincial development but as long as we can, you know, float the Blue Nose 2 or the Blue Nose 3, I'm not sure which one she's called now, um, and in the Tall Ships Parade, then our hearts are pure. And part of, part of what I think we're all grappling with as environmental historians is that we are beneficiaries of these unsustainable practices and unsustainable traditions. And how do we position ourselves in a kind of honest and accountable way um, on a very personal as well as professional level? And so part of what I was, part of what I was grappling with was um, having to be honest that yes, I myself part of part of where this paper comes from is going back to Halifax the past couple of years and being physically and emotionally disoriented at the changes to the shoreline, the changes to the downtown, um, 
where the the older relationship with water is is increasingly obstructed and, but but wanting to know beyond that sort of feeling of nostalgia or loss what can i actually be doing right where where can we actually um disrupt these these very sort of comforting patterns of storytelling that allow us to continue damaging practices of use so i'm eager for other scholars and other Canadians to read this paper, because I think that there's a lot that can be taken from this case study of Nova Scotia and potentially be applied elsewhere in the country. Do you see similar kinds of alibis deployed in other parts of Canada to um, represent the relationship between the province and nature in a way that doesn't necessarily reflect the actual material relationships with nature that perhaps are more extractive or destructive? Well, first, Sean, I'm trying to get people to think about the Maritimes, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one of one of the things that struck me um, is that there is so much environmental history in Atlantic Canada to be talked about. And it's, it is it is still kind of the underdog regionally and i i would hope that people um focus on atlantic canada in its own terms and not not just as uh the sort of the first the first chapter to the settler project mm-hmm. um and so and, and especially in the industrial age right i mean after the acadiensis school with the real interest in 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 specifically the coal industries of Nova Scotia, there's there's so much to be talked about um, in terms of energy frontiers and post-industrial landscapes. Um, so on the one hand, I, I, I kind of don't want to, I don't want to take away from that. Um, mm-hmm. But yes, I absolutely see this as a national practice. Um, I think this is, this is something that Canadians do very well and have practiced in their regional landscapes in numerous ways. Um, in Ontario, the, you know, the, the motifs of the near North, right. Mm -hmm. And the the cultures of sort of the well-to-do Muskokans, um, somehow redeeming themselves, um, by these, by these venues, these forays into, into sort of quasi, quasi wilder wildernesses. Um, I think the, the tar sands challenge us to have, 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 have become kind of in some ways, not so much a national alibi, but a national scapegoat um, mm. because it's something that we can point to as highly problematic um, and don't have an easy alibi, but we are able to deflect the fact that we're fossil fuel users across the country, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're high water consumers across the country. This is not something unique in any way to Alberta. So um, I do think it it's it's good to think about this on two different scales as in the case of environmental history we t- we often work in questions of scales uh like mm-hmm. geographers what what are the regional landscapes and regional economies that um are working in tandem and how are these reinforced across provinces and across regions mm-hmm. um so that we can cultivate these this this sort of this myth of a national romance and I guess to some extent, the way that nature is represented in media in Canada across time has to some degree or another been regionalized. So you got particular views of the Maritimes and the prairies and central Canada and British Columbia and the north. But there are many more ways in which <clears throat> consumerism and capitalism connect Canadians across the country to those environments and particularly implicate Canadians from one part of the country to the next in terms of extraction. 
Ex- so I think of ex- bitumen as being deeply connected to investment in Ontario. Right. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, the, again, the Maritimes were lobbying pretty hard for an energy east pipeline, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they, they, it, in material terms, we keep wanting to be connected. Um, and so this idea that... I think one of the constructive things that we've seen in environmental history um, in the last several years is a first, I don't want to say a first generation, but an earlier or older interest in um, place biography, in uh, the specifics of locality, the experiences of locality. And now we're seeing a more consistent application of those larger questions that you talked about of capitalism, of settler colonialism, of nationalism, and recognizing that what I explore in in Nova Scotia or in in Halifax here, um, you could look at port cities elsewhere in the country and see, are they being turned, like, what's the relationship between fossil fuel and recreation, for example. Um, So in some ways, I want the specific attention uh, in the Maritimes, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the value of these kinds of questions is it, it lies in those those larger thematic areas of what does it mean about considering national interest as t- being tied to fossil fuels, right? And mm-hmm. this this is language that we are seeing brought out um, almost daily in the House of Commons. Mm-hmm. So this is a provocative and challenging paper that I hope all of the niche uh, community has a chance to read. Uh, Valuable not just for what you'll learn about Nova Scotia, but perhaps what Nova Scotia can teach other Canadians about the rest of the country. Claire, thank you so much for this uh, contribution and letting us know more about your paper. Thank you very much. Nature's Past is produced with support from the Network in Canadian History and Environment. This episode was made by Claire Campbell and me, Sean Karaj. Music for Nature's Past was licensed by Creative Commons. For details on the artists, please take a look at our show notes at niche-canada.org slash naturespast, where you can also download new episodes, subscribe to the podcast with your favorite podcast player, and leave comments. You can also follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash nature's past. You can always find out more about environmental history research in Canada from the Niche website at niche-canada.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with another episode of Nature's Past. Nature's Past.